Hi there, you've tuned in to the latest edition of Capital Yarns, the podcast. My name's Sean Costello. For those not familiar with the concept of Capital Yarns, basically I invite social media users to nominate three items for me, and then I create a bespoke yarn just for them, based in Canberra, featuring all three of those items. And it's fitting that we have a special guest narrator this week for the yarn you're about to hear, Melanie Skinner, who's got a wonderful voice, a wonderful personality. She's a beautiful woman. And I should say all those things because she's also my wife. This came from an unusual place, this yarn. As I said, usually uh, my yarns are requested via social media or email or some sort of digital means. Uh, But this one actually came from an appearance I um, had with Adam Shirley on local ABC radio, Triple Six Canberra. Uh, and he requested three uh, fairly unusual items, uh, which probably led to an even more unusual story. Triple six, uh, fitting for the radio station, plus calling a woman dude. And there was some context to that. There'd been some debate in their newsroom earlier that day about whether that was an appropriate thing for a man to do. And Thomas Keneally had appeared on my show, on, on Adam's show just before I, I appeared. And so he was the third item. So we had triple six, calling a woman dude, and Thomas Keneally. Melanie's now going to read uh, the story that emerged from the murky sludge of my mind. The Sexpert is what it's called, and it will feature all three of those items. And as the case for all my yarns, it's set in Canberra. And as the name suggests, this is definitely not one for the kids. So if you've got any small children around you, cover their ears now. Here's Melanie. Diary entry 146, 18 January 2015. Well, here I am, writing down my thoughts on yet another breakup. This one should have worked. It had all the hallmarks of a successful relationship. Till it didn't. I really liked Alex. I felt safe with him. Protected. He was a nice guy. Till he wasn't. We had so much in common too. I mean, how many men in this city am I going to find who to share my weird obsession with the number six repeated three times? It was more than that, of course. Two people can't move in together after 666 days dating. Yeah, we did that. On the strength of three numbers. Or is that one number? We never did settle that one. Even if we both obsess about it. He was cute, honest and interesting. Listen to me. Even in my diary I talk as though I'm an expert. Well, I'm planning on writing the book on the subject. Not that any of that is helping me now. I have to admit, I miss him. Not just his physical presence, but the little things around the house. Cufflinks sitting next to the front door. Ties hanging in the dresser. And his smell. Oh, damn, that man smelled good. When you spend a significant amount of time with someone, I suppose you form these little unconscious bonds, an attachment that goes beyond that initial attraction and sex drive. We had that. It was good. Till he broke it. He had to go and call me dude. Entry 147, 20 January 2015. Here I am, writing about Alex again. But this is different to some schoolgirl pining in her journal about the jock who likes to play football more than spend time with her. And I've never really been the kind who chases after the boy. Since high school, they've generally chased me. The rugby captain, Ben. School captain, Ben's best friend John, the university medalist, Tim, not to mention the university professor, Robert. Boy, did he teach me a few things. Alex was no different, 
and I'm not about to start aching and chasing. Plus, this is work. This is research. I think Alex's parting gift might be extra material for my book. The plan was always for my various experts to theoretically examine the many theories of love. But now I'm thinking they should also apply their theories to a real life example. Narcissist. Me. In the next weeks, I'm recording the views of a biologist, anthropologist, theologian, poet and psychologist on attraction, sex and love. Specifically, why does one human being become attracted sexually to another? What draws two people together? What makes them want to spend time together? Talk, chat, laugh, mate. All will remain anonymous so they can speak more freely. I'm hoping they won't just talk about the various theories in their professions of love and sex, but also open up about their personal experiences. Why write such a book? Well, it flows out of some journal articles I've written on my particular theories about sex and attraction, and a book makes sense. However, in light of current events, I'm starting to rethink some of these theories, or at least my qualifications in making them. Entry 148, 21st of January 2015. I've had another idea about the book. I think Canberra should feature prominently. At first blush, pun intended, it may not seem the most sexy of cities. It is artificial after all, planned to the nth degree, full of cardigan-wearing public servants and politicians. Except it isn't. Firstly, as a university town, there are five represented here in some way, although strictly probably four campuses plus a TAFE. I'm able to source my experts on love and sex easily. But I also want to play with the idea of perceptions of sexy, hearing new perspectives on what gets us going. What better way to shatter a few misconceptions than pick a city most would describe as unsexy and then demonstrate just how sexy it really is? Of course, there are the obvious sex ingredients here already. Canberra is known as the city of three Ps, and two of them are often key ingredients to a good night in the sack, porn and pyrotechnics. Having not bettered a politician, I can't comment on the sexiness of the third P. One of the P's is, of course, now a little precarious in Canberra, no capital P pun intended, being the legal sale of fireworks. As that is now essentially illegal, unless you're a pyro pro, but the other pros are alive and kicking, or should that be fucking, in a fishwick's many brothels and sex shops. Tomorrow I meet my first expert, the biologist. I'm going to test out an idea on him. I want all my experts, as natives of Canberra, to nominate their sexiest spot, location, item in the city. This should also encourage them to put a personal spin on the theories they discuss. Entry 148, 21st of January 2015. Met the biologist this morning over coffee. Managed to only mention Alex ten times. I think he noticed I was recovering from a breakup. I know this because he said that. Exactly. I notice you're recovering from a recent breakup. Is this book a form of therapy for you? He leant over the table to say this, his wrinkled face and bushy eyebrows cramping together in a look of pained empathy. The book wasn't meant to be, but I fear that's what it is becoming. The biologist was from the CSIRO, and he liked my idea of a romantic location. 
He nominated a place not far from his workplace on the foothills of Black Mountain, the top of said mountain. There is a tower with a revolving restaurant at the top, which is quite highbrow and expensive and provides breathtaking 360-degree views of the city. But that wasn't his choice. He didn't even nominate the tower. Instead, he suggested walking up the mountain with your loved one of choice, enjoying the beautiful smells of the eucalyptus leaves and the sounds of nature, and distant hum of cars also climbing. At the top, you have a wonderful view to reward your hard work. If you are feeling particularly romantic, as he did on one occasion, you can even take the opportunity to propose marriage while looking down on 350,000 people. His choice of romantic location was directly linked to his theory of sex and attraction. Smell. The smell of pheromones, to be precise. While still slightly unsettled, he subscribes to the theory that animals, including humans, give off a scent, which is not consciously detected, but suggests to a mate, you're up for it. They may even change the receiver's behaviour in involuntary ways. Makes me wonder, was there a smell I set off that suggested to Alex I was interested in some way? That set him off when we first met to involuntarily pursue me? And if so, why didn't he smell my odour that said, whatever you do, don't call me dude? I'm pretty sure that's a smell all women give off. And I doubt it smells like eucalyptus. Entry 150, 24th of January 2015. Today's appointment was with the anthropologist from the ANU, who was very interested in monogamy, just what I wanted to talk about. She is studying why humans, generally speaking, attempt to find a single mate for life. The odd thing about humans is that unlike other animals who have internal gestation and longer-term lactation, our males don't, as a rule, seek additional mating opportunities. So why not humans? She had initially studied and then critiqued one theory that explained the behaviour because of the weaker sex. Females needed the stronger male to protect them. That didn't really explain why groups of females couldn't have achieved the same end. Her final theory was derived mainly from an American anthropologist, Helen Fisher, who posited that humans have three parts of their brain that drive mating. Lust, sex drive, attraction, early stage of intense romantic love and attachment that comes from a connection with a long-term partner. My anthropologist liked that this theory accepted that the initial coupling of two people can be driven by one of these motivations. Some relationships will commence with deep lust and later move to attachment. Each of those drivers emerged to fulfill a different evolutionary requirement. On some level that theory made sense to me Jolly relationship would need to pass all three and perhaps have some overlapping time when two or more are present to be successful. What's the point in forming a long-term attachment with someone you don't want to bed? Fisher's research also suggests that females' and males' brains light up differently when they fall in love. Men tend to focus on visual appearance, apparently driven by the desire to choose an appropriate childbearing mate whereas women's brains are more active in relation to assessing behaviour, like attempting to judge the long-term parenting skills of a potential father. She chose a church for her romantic venue. Well, an outdoor chapel in the secluded part of the Lake Foreshore, near the Charles Sturch Centre for Christianity and Culture, 
We're thinking of organising some photos for the book, as it sounds like a pretty spot. The chapel has a wooden altar set amongst native trees and grasslands. Given her chosen topic, I'm still not sure if she was being deliberately ironic or not. I wonder if it was the sort of spot Alex and I might have chosen. Perhaps he decided my hips weren't wide enough. Entry 152, 3rd of February 2015. I was just reviewing the formal interview I did with the theologian a couple of months ago for the book. It made my heart ache to do it, but I needed to make sure all three experts' theories were going to fit together in the book, particularly given the place my anthropologist had picked for her romantic location. Thankfully, the theologian didn't choose a place of worship or spirituality. He had studied all over the world and was currently working on a third book, After all that travel, study and navel-gazing, he had a whole heap of theories about the human condition. But ultimately for him, it just came down to that core, innate human instinct that humans simply need other humans. That it went to our belief that there is something unique and special about us as a species. A belief that was probably also at the heart of why human culture, after human culture, had developed some sort of theory of a higher being who was responsible for their creation. Still, his more personal perspective was that there was a certain level of emotional competency required for a true human bond, that both partners needed to connect on some philosophical level if their relationship was to last, and both had to be emotionally mature enough to be up for that sort of commitment. Thinking about now, post-breakup, feels like a biblical-sized slap in the face. Entry 152, 3rd of February 2015. I met my poetic expert today, a creative writing guru at the University of Canberra. I don't want to be stereotypical here, I really don't, but you know those impossible hot guys that march around on the Sydney Mardi Gras floats, all muscles, tight black pants and sweat? He was one of those, young, hot and horny. saying that all poets, all gay men, all gay poets are necessarily built that way. But he was. And his theory sort of came from the same place. It was all about that initial moment of intense connection when two people click at precisely the same moment. That spark before the flame. The blue at the centre of the most intense fire. He believed that intense feeling was addictive and had spurned many a marriage, baby, affair and work of creative genius that once a human experiences that level of intensity, they will search for it again and again, not just for the hit, but for the creative energy it engenders. That's why humans committed to one another forever, but also why they will sleep with each other after a glance across a sweaty dance floor or cheat on their life partner or drop two ecstasy tablets on a Saturday night, all of it motivated by an often impossible vein in the many definitions of that word, attempt to reclaim that feeling once again. There was something wonderfully crude but right about what he was saying, a raw truth at the centre of his theory. Perhaps I like it because I used to bug Alex to drop some E with me. He claimed he didn't like the Tuesday blues. Hmm, today is Tuesday. The poet didn't choose a Keats-inspired autumn scene or a Rabbi Burns rural setting, 
Instead, his choice was the public toilets near Yarramundi Ridge. My conservative publisher may cut that from the book. Entry 153, 8th of February 2015. I've started piecing together all my experts' opinions, and I think they will work well, except I'm not sure how my theories are going to fit in. I am, after all, the stereotypical teacher, lecturer, professor, however you choose to describe me. At any rate, I should be in the picture next to the Wikipedia entry on the saying, those who can do, those that can't teach. My romantic location is easy. I've chosen the Aspen Island Bridge in the shadow of the National Carillion, where hundreds of engraved locks have been attached to that little footbridge. I know it has been done a million times on a thousand bridges around the world, but there is just something proudly simple and majestic about that little footbridge. Alex and I put a lock there. I wonder if I'm morally obliged to remove it now. I was planning on giving views as a professor of psychology about empathy and insight and narcissism and hormones and Freud and mums and dads and personalities. Wants, needs, desires. They all seem hopelessly hollow now. Entry 154, 10th of February 2015. I'm not sure how I can proceed with the book in its current form. Particularly, do I need a new theologian? Oh yeah, I think I forgot to mention that the theologian's name was Alex. In trying to plan how his theories will fit into the book, I found myself becoming all emotional, hot tears flowing down my face and wetting the paper before I was even conscious of what I was doing. I was listening back to his romantic space pick, Llewellyn Hall. A 1400-centre concert hall, the huge wood-panelled room drips with a sense of theatre and drama. From huge symphony orchestras to some of the finer solo artists in the room to witnessing ceremonies featuring some of the most famous people on the planet, the room has seen it all. As someone who needs a dash of ambience and mood to encourage those amorous thoughts, I could understand why he chose it. But also, on one autumn night, hosted a riveting speech by Thomas Keneally, and that was where we met. Entry 155, 12th of February 2015. I'm not so sure about the book. When I pitched it to the publisher, they loved it. A sort of honest account of how one girl is failing to find love, even when she's an expert. But that's just the thing. I'm an expert on the theory of love. Clearly, I suck at the practice. The first thing I should probably do is analyse, according to my wonderful theories, why our relationship failed. He called me dude. There, done. He knew that was the one thing I couldn't stand. After 793 days together, he did it. Relationship over. Entry 156, 15th of February 2015. So I met my friend Jane for a drink at the Yacht Club today. She suggested we grab some fish and chips and a beer and watch the boats float around the lake. Great way to get my mind off the breakup, if it hadn't been for the happy couples frolicking with their impossibly happy children. Anyways, she suggested Alex was not entirely to blame for our relationship breakup. She accused me of lacking insight. Me! I'm a psychologist for crying out loud. 
I have a degree in analysing people's mental states. I explained to her that we need boundaries in our relationships, things that are acceptable and those that aren't. He crossed the line. He did something unacceptable. And in my book, that's the end of it. She seemed unconvinced. Entry 157, 28th of February, 2015. I've been listening to this CD Alex gave me. I don't think it's helping and I'm not sure I like it, but I can't bring myself to turn it off. He gave it as a gift on our 666th day anniversary and to celebrate moving in together. The music is a little weird, all dark gothic rock, but I liked his thinking. Greatest Love Songs, Volume 666 by a Swedish band called Him. It reminded me about our 666 thing. For me, my love of the number is about mathematical symmetry of it. Not just that there was something aesthetically pleasing about the number 6 repeated three times, but that 666 is the sum of the first 36 natural numbers and that it is a triangular number. 36 equals 15 plus 21 and 152 plus 212 equals 666. Or that the Roman numeral of 666, DCLXVI, has exactly one occurrence of all Roman numeral symbols, whose value is less than 1000 in decreasing order. I really got serious about my interest when studying hexasocohexaconotheophobia at university. Try saying that three times really quickly after a visit to the uni pub before your tutorial. As a theologian for Alex, it was all about its spiritual meaning. According to the book of Revelations, 666 may be the number of the beast, although there is some dispute on that translation. Alex had written extensively on why those who translated the passage to be 616 were incorrect. He had also studied how and why the Romans may have become obsessed with the number. Other things keep coming up too, reminding me of our breakup. Like I heard Thomas Keneally on the radio, 666 Canberra of course, or that a friend invited me to a concert at Llewellyn Hall. But I refuse to pine. I'm too good for that. Deep breath, shoulders back, stand up straight and get on with it. No point thinking about a boy who chose to break up a good thing. Entry 158, 1st of March 2015. I've been thinking about my old relationships. Maybe Jane's right. Maybe they ended not because those partners did something wrong, but because of me, because I demanded too much. One mistake and they were over. Boom. Sometimes I ended them actively, sometimes passively. Next relationship is going to be different. New Year's resolution. Entry 159, 20th of March 2015. Maybe I'll hold off on the book just for now. Maybe it will be a different story. Perhaps something about how the love professor actually figured out how to apply her theory. Because I've met someone. I've got a chance to fulfill my resolution. Entry 160, 26th of March, 2015. I miss sex. There. I said it. Entry 161, 10th of April, 2015. Things are going great with Adam. I feel this time it's going to be different. 
Entry 162, 28th of April, 2015. I haven't written that much lately because I haven't had time or the inclination. I'm just enjoying life too much. If I do the book, I think it's going to be about how I finally got my shit together. Entry 163, 5th of May, 2015. I'm at a crossroads. Adam is great. According to all the theories I've examined, we should work. He's smart, he's good-looking, good in the sack. He's even patient about my 666 thing, even if he doesn't share Alex's obsession. But I'm not sure I can pull this thing off. I think I'm still the problem. I can see a huge roadblock in our future, and I'm not sure how I'm going to get past it. He is physically strong and patient, Good father characteristics there. Not shallow on the philosophical front either. He regularly listens to ABC local radio triple six after all. He ticks all the boxes. I feel attracted physically, mentally, spiritually, and he smells good. Most romantic spot in Canberra. Top of the Carillion. He pulled some strings for us to eat dinner at the top one night. Great choice. There's just one thing his interests. It's not that he's only mildly interested in the number triple six. That's not surprising. It's what he is interested in. Movies, to be exact. His third favourite movie of all time, Wayne's World. Second favourite movie, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And his favourite movie of all time, Dude, Where's My Car? We're doomed. Well, thank you, Melanie. That was fantastic. Uh, I think hearing that tale with a female perspective and female voice really gave it a new dimension. Thank you so much. As always, thank you to Hashimoto, local Canberra band, for providing the theme music for the show. Hashimoto.com will provide you more information about those guys. Don't forget that you can request your own yarn. Keep up to date with everything that's happening uh, in the Capital Yarns world at capitalyarns.com.au. There are a range of former stories there as well, uh, as well as details of how you can subscribe to keep up to date. You can also subscribe to this podcast via iTunes or wherever you like to access your podcasts. Uh, And you can always follow me on Twitter at Capital Yarns or under the same name on Facebook. And please, by all means, use any of those means to request a yarn. You can also get Capital Yarns, the book, at a range of retailers all around Canberra, uh, and you can get further details of that at the website, www.capitalyarns.com.au. Thank you again for listening. I'm so grateful. Let me know what you think, and uh, I'll be back shortly with another yarn read, probably by Peter next time. Uh, And if you've got any favourites that you think would be worthy of the podcast, let me know. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.